the volume. This session is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut, 1-800-GAMBLER, or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY, or text HOPE-NY for New York, Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789. And 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on this show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. <laughs> Thanks for joining me. I'm so excited to talk to you. I was like doing a deep dive last night. You're a fascinating woman. Thank you. <laughs> What'd you find? Oh, we'll get into it. All sorts of things. But right now, for the people that are watching on YouTube, you have a sauna in your bedroom? I do. Um, so I just bought this really awesome house up in the mountains in Colorado, and it's a complete renovation project right now. So I don't currently have a bath and usually part of my because we're renovating the bathrooms and usually part of my training uh, is I do my bath at night helps my weight cut, you know, I use Epsom salt and all that. Um, and so like, well, I'm like, shoot, don't have a bath. I need a sauna. Be kind of cool to have anyway. So it's currently in my bedroom, but um, <laughs> kind of nice. I just hop on out, jump in the bed. <laughs> oh my God. My husband's going to be so jealous of this. We we just moved in our old house. We had one, like used it all the time. And then, yeah, we moved and we're like, where can we put one? We're trying to like find space to put one. But God, I love the sauna life. It's just the best. Yeah. And I need it. You know, it's like, I've been fighting at one thirty now for like 13 years and it's just not, doesn't get any easier. So, um, you know, anyway, sweat helps. How does the weight cut look at this point? I saw you kind of post uh, the other day at what, 141? Yeah, so because WBC belt is on the line for this fight, um, there's there's weight checks throughout camp, which I've actually never had to do. 
but you know, it's fine. Uh, the first weight check had to be 143. This next weight check coming up, I have to be 138. And then two weeks from there, 134. So I, I cut a lot of weight these days. So, but I have a great team. I work with perfecting athletes. Everything's very scientific, pretty good at eating right and doing all that. I don't crave sweets. I don't have a sweet tooth. So I think it's like a huge Yeah, I'm sure that that definitely helps significantly. I didn't have a sweet tooth in my life until I got pregnant. Now I'm like, give me all of the sugar all the time. Uh, And I just never kicked that ever after having the baby. Uh, But I know um, weight cuts always fascinate me, though, especially for women. It's just it's so fascinating to me, like what you guys put your body through and how the science is all broken down with you guys. Um, I was working with um, Misha Tate for a while doing a show together and talking to her about making her cuts and all that stuff. It just is like crazy what you guys do, but shit, you get the job done. Kudos. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, my goal is to go undisputed at one thirty, which means I need two more belts. This fight coming up September 10th will get me that third one. Um, so I got to stay at one thirty until I go undisputed. That's my goal. And then I'll probably hop on up to more comfortable weight, like 35. Hell yeah. So it's all going down Saturday, September 10th, historic championship doubleheader at the O2 Arena in London. Uh, And this is, is this an entire female card? It is. And when they first brought this to my attention that this could be an option of me fighting um, for the co-main for Clarissa Shields versus Savannah Marshall, I was super on board with it. And I was secretly hoping that they were going to make it an all-female card because me and Clarissa can obviously, we can carry a card on our own, but put together like... Might as well. Let's we're definitely going to make this is going to be a huge fight. We're going to be able to sell it. And so let's put all females on the card. Let's just make it a huge female event. So I'm so glad they went and did that. Yeah, not the O2. I mean, after coming off of the um, Amanda Serrano fight, too, I mean, them at MSG with Katie Taylor, um, that MSG fight to what you guys are now doing at the O2. I mean, this is amazing for women in boxing. Like, could you have imagined when you started in this business and in this sport that it would have grown the way that it has and now to get these eyeballs on women? That's a hard question to answer. Everyone keeps asking me that. And like part of me goes, yeah, duh. Like I feel like every woman in this era of women's boxing, like the top girls right now, we always had to believe that we would be at this position, right? Like I, I mean, I told myself I wanted to be the best female fighter in the world back when women weren't allowed to compete in the Olympics. Um, Promoters weren't signing us professionally. This was like Gina Carano days, right? So I just had a passion and I just, I, I just knew that I don't know how I was going to get it done, but I just knew I was passionate about this sport and I was going to get it done. And I feel like all of us women in this era had to believe that. So to an extent, yes, we always believed it'd be at this point, but it's like, we couldn't really imagine it in this detail because we didn't know how it, you know, sort of like evolving year after year, um, trying to, to grow in this market. It's so cool to see too. I mean, especially to be able to see, the growth happened. Like, so I come from the world of like professional wrestling. And when we look at like what the women were able to do, like from even like when I started there, like eight, nine years ago to what the women are doing now. And over that time, it's like to see that actually happen. And same within UFC to see like the women really getting those main event spots, getting, uh, you know, much better pay, getting like the different sponsorships, all that stuff. It's, it's so amazing to be able to see that all kind of come together for everybody. Um, who are some of the people that you would really put on, um, championing women's boxing? Cause there's so many people behind the scenes that also get this done. It's so interesting because, you know, back in the day you had, um, there was like this little spike in women's boxing, right? You had Layla Ali, Ann Wolf, Mia St. John, um, and, th- and that era of women's boxing. And then for like 10 years, there was nothing. 
nothing. I mean, we finally were allowed to compete in the Olympics. They allowed that. And I thought, I think that was the biggest thing they could have done for us because it allowed us women to compete at the highest possible level. And then we can only grow from there. Right. And so now this era of women's boxing, I mean, these girls are going to go down in history. Just think about the four girls on this card. These girls doing this now are really just setting the tone uh, for the next generation. And that's something that's always been a huge goal of mine is I didn't have a path to follow when I was coming up in this sport. Like people literally laughed at the idea that I said I was going to be a professional boxer. Like they said, okay, like good luck. That doesn't exist. You know, that, I think that's a goal for a lot of us is just for the next generation to be like, hey, what is the blueprint? How do we follow it? Like the men have, the men have that blueprint and us women did it. So um, now it's there and all, all the women, all the women now have all contributed in, in their small or big way. Does it feel different heading into a full female card? Um, we got to do that with WWE. We had our very first all women's pay-per-view uh, WWE evolution and we had women doing commentary. I got to be on commentary for that. The women from, you know, top to bottom. I, f- I feel like we even had more women like writers and producers on staff. I could maybe be, that might be a question mark next to that. Um, but it was, it just had that really cool energy of like, Women supporting each other. We knew how big this was. Like everyone working together as much as there can be like the shit that happens inside the ring is one thing. And, you know, obviously for you guys, you can talk about that. But in terms of like everyone really banding together and knowing that like, damn, something really fucking special is happening right now. Definitely. I mean, I knew it was going to be special. Like a lot of people kind of gave me a little bit of crap because they're like, you and Alicia Baumgartner should be your own main event. Like, why are you agreeing to be the co-main event for Shields Marshall? And I'm like, I don't have that ego when it comes, when it, when this was like brought to my attention, my ego didn't kick in and say, Oh, what about me being the main event? Like that literally didn't cross my mind. I thought like, wow, this could be so iconic. This could be so unique. This could be setting a new tone for boxing in general, not just women's boxing, because you usually don't get more than one awesome matchup on a card in boxing. You do in the UFC, but you really don't in boxing. And so I'm like, this could set a new tone. We have like three different promoters working together, two, three different networks. Um, I'm like, this is awesome. And this is great. And this is going to give the fans a one-stop shop to see two fights that maybe if it was separated, that they wouldn't have been, been able to like afford or get to both of these fights. And so it's a one-stop shop for the fans, which I'm all about the fans. I say like, we're entertainers at the end of the day. So these fans are everything to us. Um, and so I think it's just awesome. And I'm like so stoked about it. And I still get, I'm still getting a little bit of shit from it from some people, but um, I think it's iconic. And I think it's going to be one of the greatest boxing events of all time. How's the pressure feel? How do you like, how does that kind of weigh on your shoulders of not only just like this fight, but I mean, obviously you've been in these like mega pressure cooker situations before competing at the Olympics and whatnot. Where does this kind of rank amongst that for you? I'm at the point in my career where every fight is the biggest fight of my life because I've worked so hard to get to this level. And this is not a forgiving sport. One slip up, one loss, you're written off by a lot of people, you know, not just by promoters and your stock goes down, everything goes down, but like, it's just a brutal, rough sport. So everything's on the line. There's definitely with each win comes more and more pressure. But I think that I've had like a, um, like I've gradually had to deal with more and more and more and more pressure. It's not like I've just been thrown into everything. I think I've had a very, a very good career. I had you know, a lot of ups and downs and like a general growth where I've just um, been able to easily handle a little bit more pressure, handle more challenging opponents. And so I just feel like I'm in a really good place. I feel like top rank has moved me really well. My team yeah. really moved me well. And like, I feel like supported. I have a great team. I can trust in them. I can rely on 
um, you know, everything we've done in training camp, I don't have to overthink and stress about it. I sort of just say like, okay, I trust my team. I trust the process and just take the pressure off myself. Um, there might be a lot more pressure that kicks in once they get to the UK, you know, the UK love boxing over there. It's like the football. Those crowds are nuts. Which is one of the reasons I wanted to get over to the UK because I know that they love boxing over there. And it's a little bit more difficult here in America. The market's a little tougher. You're competing with so much. There's so much competition for the media's attention. And um, but there it's already it's already built. So I'm sure the pressure will be there. It's gonna be a huge stage, huge arena, lots of people. But yeah, I'm ready for that pressure. I'm ready. I've asked for it. I've always called it privileged pressure because there's plenty of people who would kill to be in my position. And so um, I'm I'm lucky. Does that kind of keep like a chip on your shoulder, the way that media um, reacts to boxing and women's boxing in particular? No, because I knew what I was getting into. It's not like when I started boxing that it was already like this developed sport and um, I had all these idols to look up to with amazing careers. Like it wasn't like that. I knew what I was getting into. I think that's just sort of like my personality in general, though. Like I always have taken the hard path, haven't been afraid of challenges. And so um, I knew it was going to be tough. When I, like I said, when I started boxing, we weren't allowed to compete in the Olympics. Promoters weren't signing us. I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, you crazy little girl. Um, but, but yeah, you know, look where we are now. So yeah, it's just, it's just a continuing, it's just a process. You know, I may never reap the benefits, full benefits of my hard work and like what I've tried to accomplish. I may never reap those full benefits and I'm okay with that. This era is still pioneer. We're still pioneering the sport. But, you know, we're doing our part in the next generation and is going to definitely benefit from it. Certainly. And while you guys are paving that way and busting your ass doing that and working together to make the sport better, let's talk a little shit on Alicia Baumgartner. Let's get into it. How have you been preparing for this fight? How is she different from some of your other opponents? Um, where's your headspace with her right now? Um, well, a little bit of history. I'm just going to give a little bit of back history. Me and Alicia Baumgartner. This is actually the third attempt to get in the ring with Alicia Baumgartner. Um, back when the pandemic first hit and I fought Helen Joseph, that fight was originally supposed to be Alicia Baumgartner. And she didn't think she had enough time. I mean, none of us did. The pandemic first hit and they called us and they're like, we can get on, we can get on this card first sporting event back. And, and since the pandemic, it's in four weeks. I wasn't in camp. Shoot. We were, I was rollerblading in my living room drinking wine with all my girlfriends <laughs> because that's, we all thought we were on vacation, right? Who didn't Amazon Prime some roller skates during the pandemic? Guilty. I did. Yes. So that's like, that's what I was doing. But when I got the call, I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. She didn't have that mindset. So she ended up thinking, saying, no, I don't have enough time. Um, Helen Joseph stepped up. Um, and then we tried to get it again with her. And the Nevada State Athletic Commission wouldn't approve her because they didn't think her quality of opponents um, were up to par for a world title fight. So here we go again. Uh, and then she goes and she, she beats Terry Harper, who I was building a rivalry with, with Terry Harper, right? We had this big rivalry going. I was trying to get that fight. She kept taking other fights, kept taking other fights. Um, so that fight never happened. Because Alicia Baumgartner came in and she knocked Terry Harper out. Great. She did what she had to do. I can't say anything bad about that. She went in there. She did what she had to do. But me as a champion, what I'm going to do is now I'm going to call you out. Now I'm going to come for you. Now I'm going to say, okay, say my name. Like after her wins and they say, what's next for you? I was saying, I want the champs. She was never saying my name. You know, so that's where the beef started. And I was like, say my name. You want to be a champion? You want to be undisputed? Then say my name. Let's fight. And I was really trying to get that fight done. And she was telling everybody that it. You know, I was going to have to wait, blah, blah, blah. And it was her time. But uh, no, not happening. We got this fight done uh, in six months after she got um, that world title. And so 
this is what women's boxing needs. We need these rivalries. We need these big fights. And so I didn't want to make the fans wait. And also, like, you do a pretty great job at, like, the shit-talking aspect of it. I mean, as I'm, like, going through your Twitter, like, obviously, Clarissa Shields, great at that, too, at, like, stirring up some controversy, getting some attention on what you guys are doing. Um, How much do you think about that, about how much more attention that can kind of drum up from from really getting that story out there? I noticed the that when that was Terry Harper, when we started building this rivalry in the beef, I'm like, man, these boxing fans, they just love it. They eat it up. They're going to talk shit about you, but they freaking love it. Um, but the rivalry with me and Baumgartner is very genuine. I think that's where the biggest rivalries come from is like not when you're faking it or trying to be anything. Like I genuinely dislike the way she delivers herself. Like I just dislike it. And I think that everything that I've said, talking shit wise, has just been facts. I have not lied. I have just spoken facts. She may not like to hear these facts, but they're absolutely true. She's the type of shit talker who does low blows, digs, you know, wants to talk about, you know, the way I look and my body and all this kind of stuff. So I don't respect that. I'm just a champion trying to fight. That's where my beef comes from. All right, let's rewind things. Let's talk about you being that young girl wanting to get into boxing and there wasn't this blueprint for you to follow, no path really for you to kind of figure out what you wanted to do. Where does your love stem from? Honestly, I was not, I was just a messed up little teenager. I was in like my fourth high school. You move a lot? No, I just got in trouble. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing? Uh, I mean, I got kicked out of my first school for fighting. And then, um, you know, my next school, I, I didn't know anybody there. And so like, I was only there for a semester and I was like, okay, dad, let me go to homeschool. Let me go to homeschool. And, um, he finally let me go to homeschool. And then basically I just had to do homework at home and go to class like once a week to turn in my shit. And, uh, obviously I didn't do that because now I, like on my own to do what I want. And I never did that. So I fell way behind, ended up in continuation school, um, which is that small little school attached to the big school. We're all like the fuck that's go. Yeah. So I ended up there. Um, and that's when I started it was my senior year ends up at that school. And that's when I was like, okay, Michaela, like I want to be good at something. I was like, I just want to be good at something. Like, this is not really what I really ever expected myself to be doing. Like, I want to be good at something. And like, let's just start by trying something new, like get your ass back into sport. Cause my dad always had me in sports growing up and stuff. But as a teenager, I was like, eh. um, so never did any high school sports or anything. And like, I was just literally ditching class every day. I was smoking a pack of cigarettes a day when I oh decided my God. when the I good decided. old days, right? Hack them <laughs> up, hack a dart, bud. <laughs> I know. And I was like, okay, let's just walk into that Muay Thai kickboxing gym that you've been walking past for years. That's like in your neighborhood. Um, and so I did, I walked in there, uh, signed myself up. It was a hundred bucks. I pulled the last hundred bucks out of my bank account. Um, I always worked I had a job since I was like 15 years old. Right. Cause I just, I always wanted money and, um, pulled it out. And within like a couple weeks, I was like, oh, there was only three women's classes a week and I want to be there every day. So I asked the coach, can I go to the men's classes too, which is the other three days a week. And I was just obsessed. I just wanted to be really, really good. It was so challenging to me. I was like, if I just keep showing up and keep showing up, I just keep getting better. Like it was like this concept so easy. It's a simple minded concept, but it just sounded so intriguing to me. And I want, and like I said, I was hungry to be good at something and yeah, started showing up every day, stopped drinking, stopped smoking, stopped going out on the weekends, lost all my friends. And I just became like obsessed with this idea of being a great fighter. Like I said, this was Gina Carana days. Like when she was really the only female fighter, no. And I just fell in love with the sport. So how did Muay Thai lend you into getting into the boxing world? When did you decide to make that jump? 
it was a year. I did Muay Thai for a year. And then my coach was like, well, you know, to stay busy in between getting Muay Thai fights, you should take some boxing fights, keep your hands sharp, whatever. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so I just started boxing. I took a boxing fight in downtown LA. What was that like? What was that first fight like? It was a typical boxing gym in East LA. Like it was called Eddie Heredia's. And back then LA was a great place to come up boxing because you would just show up at the fights on the weekend, like the local club shows or like gym gym fights and you'd show up and you'd give your name and you'd give them your weight and how many fights you had and then you'd hope to get matched up. And so that's what we would do. Like every weekend we would try and go get a fight. I think I boxed my first fight in running shoes and Muay Thai shorts. I looked like a total dork, but I stopped her in the second round and I never went back to Muay Thai after that. I just saw like there was more of a ladder to climb, I feel like, in boxing in America and the U.S., especially living in L.A. And that vibe that I got at the boxing gym just wasn't the same as Muay Thai. And so I just stuck with boxing. And two years later, they announced that they were going to allow women into the Olympics, 2012, London. Wow. And then four years later, there you are fighting for like, wow, what a jump. They announced it and I was like, okay, well, now I need a coach. Like I had a great coach, but he was a Muay Thai guy. I'm like, I need a coach who's going to get me to the top. And my dad was like super supportive because he had saw me be this little fuck up teenager to like all of a sudden completely dedicated to this craft. So he was like, went looking online, the USA Boxing website, and he found this program in Northern Michigan where I could go to school. And I was 19, so I should probably have been going to college now. Right. So I was like, we can go to college and train with a two time Olympic coach, Al Mitchell. And I'm like, okay, dad, sure, look into it. And he hustled to get me into that program because they never had a female before. And my dad was like, well, you know, they are allowing women into Olympics now. You got to take my daughter, blah, blah, blah. Two weeks later, I was on a plane to this program in Northern Michigan from L.A. to Northern Michigan. Oh my, what North a culture Pole. shock that is, huh? Welcome. It was such a culture shock, but I, I was so hungry and I wanted to be the best. And like that was just going to get me there. To this day, that coach, I mean, he's upstairs taking a nap right now. Oh. Before a session. <laughs> like we've been together now for like 13 years. And so I stuck with him. That program, I never finished college and the program got canceled and I lost the funding and everything. But I was like, I am not leaving this coach. This is the coach that's going to get me to the top. A couple of years later, I was in the finals of Olympic trials going up against girls who had like years on me, right? Didn't win that first Olympic trial. They lost in the finals to Queen Underwood, but then stayed amateur for four more years and hustled to make the 2016 team. What a what a journey. It's actually like crazy to me, like reading your bio and it's like, oh, didn't start boxing or like getting into like the fight world until like late in life. And I was like, 17? Since when is that late in life? Like that seems really young. When do people normally get into it? I was very early, like bloomer. Like I was like doing my thing, whatever I want, no curfew at like 12, 13 years old. Right. So when I had that epiphany at 17, where I was like, I want to be good at something. I'm like, don't want to do this anymore. I want to be, I, wanna, I just want to like have a skill, be successful. I thought that was late in hindsight. I'm like, Oh shit. I got my shit together early, but it is late for, to start an Olympic sport and in boxing too. A lot of these people are starting at, you know, eight years old. So I thought I started late, but you know, women peak later in the sport anyways. We didn't have the the opportunities and stuff that the men had at the young age. And so a lot of the top women right now, we are in our early 30s. I'm a big fan of that like early mid 30s sweet spot that I feel like men get their sweet spot. There's this is like a little bit different, but I think for women that like mid 30s is like shit is firing on all cylinders mentally, physically. You've got like so much more experience under your belt. Do you feel that like sweet spot really like bubbling for you? I don't even feel like I've hit my prime yet and I don't have a ton of miles on me. Um, you know, like I said, it starts till I was 17. So I feel like, yeah, I just now am peaking. Like, I feel like the most, the most physical, like physically as an athlete, my body's coming in, um, into its own and, um, I feel strong mentally and yeah, 
I think I'm at a great age. I love it. And even Alicia made comments like, I'm already at my best. You've seen my best. You really haven't seen my best. She's been boxing since she was eight years old. If anyone's peak is her. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. Um, and I'm still peaking. And yeah, I feel great at this age. Was there ever a time during this journey from like walking into that Muay Thai gym, getting into boxing to now going on to co-main event at the O2 arena? Was there ever a point that you're like, man, I don't know if this is going to be for me. Was the uphill battle ever uh, not really in your favor? Oh, yeah. I had a lot of ups and downs coming up. Um, thank God I had a great coach. I mean, Coach Al, the reason I was able to excel at such a fast pace is because of his training and coaching. So I'm lucky I had that. But there was a lot of ups and downs. I lost a lot before I won, you know, but I, I never gave up on it because there was something about waking up every day and knowing my purpose that like just gave me like hope because I think that's the most important thing you can find as a young person. Like, again, I thought I found it late, but I did it. You've got to be, have a passion. So I'm so lucky I found that in boxing. I didn't care how hard it was. I had a passion. I was passionate about it. I mean, you talk about being like a kid, like 12, 13, getting into trouble, kind of doing your own thing where you were that kid that just grew up really fast. What, 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 kind, of, what kind of put you in that situation? I mean, I had to. Um, my dad got custody of me and my two sisters when I was 12, going on 13. And so the first 13 years of our life. My mom was an alcoholic addict. And so we dealt with that. And, um, when my dad got custody of us, it was obviously a huge relief. Like my dad was amazing. We loved, we loved our dad so much, love our dad, but, uh, it was still a huge adjustment. You know, he was, he had a full-time job and he now had three young girls under his roof and he was gone. He was gone when this, before the sun came up and he was, didn't get home until the sun was down. And so I was pretty much had a, a lot of probably too much freedom at too young of an age. And uh, yeah, went a little crazy. And my dad did the best, but I mean, he was gone. He was gone a lot. He was working. He was trying to keep the roof over our head. Football fans, check out the three and out podcast with John Middlecoff only on the volume podcast network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex-NFL scout to the volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip, John has you covered. Download 3 and Out with John Middlecoff, only on the Volume Podcast Network. Um, I would also like to start this interview off by saying that it was very stressful getting ready for this interview outfit-wise. Okay. Because you don't mess around when it comes <laughs> to fashion. So I couldn't show up in like some sludge outfit. So what all goes into your fashion? Because I mean, we've got a little taste of it behind you yeah, here. A little bit, a little bit. You, um, do you have your own clothing line too? Is this true? Yeah, I'm trying to start a um, basically African-inspired uh, clothing line, you know, using premium fabrics, but everything's made in Nigeria. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like um, in the fashion space, we haven't really experienced African fashion. And last year, you know, before games, a lot of the players know. Some people that, that tune in a little bit know that I, I'll wear traditional um, Nigerian wear and I try to make it look modern. So that fashion. outfit. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a lot of fun with it for sure. I have a lot of fun with it. And, you know, hopefully people will see it. And, you know, when we're ready to launch, people will want to experience it too. So. When are you going to launch it? Um, Pretty soon. Okay. <laughs> pretty soon. I have yeah. the website already done. Um, we have tailors ready. 
the main thing right now is just getting the premium fabrics and the craftsmanship down. I don't want to give anybody some, you know, trash. No, 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 <laughs> Especially no. Especially putting no. my name on it. No, they're beautiful. When I was like looking like just through your Instagram, I was like, oh my gosh, look mm -hmm. at you. Mm -hmm. Look at these outfits. Trying, they're trying. beautiful. You. Um, you guys all have a pretty like tight fashion game. Who do you think has the best fashion on the team? That's a hard question. I will say Joe Burrow, if he wears something, it's going to get the most national pool. So I think with the Cartiers, it's crazy because we were in Vegas uh, for the fight, yes. um, the UFC fight. And it was me, Joey, and Jesse. And the lady that was helping us was like, because uh, Joe was looking at Cartier's, like some more Cartier's. And she was like, oh, you know, there's this guy, Joe Burrow, who made these ones very popular. <laughs> And Joe's, you said that I swear, and Joe's like, yeah, well, I'm Joe Burrow. Nice like, yeah, that was, that was crazy. So, like, he really made those um, glasses popular. So, so funny. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to Joe. He probably has the most national, you know, if he, if he puts something on, they're going to they're gonna notice yeah. it. Yeah. Who's got the worst? <laughs> I won't Who needs say the, a little love? Okay, I won't say the worst. I'll say someone has the biggest surprise element would have to be Eli. Okay. <laughs> he has a lot of swag and fashion, but when he came to the Super Bowl with that robe, like, I don't know if people saw that, but he came in like a Versace or a Fendi, something robe mm -hmm. to the Super Bowl. It was like, all right, this is Eli. <laughs> so it was just hilarious. Was I like hilarious. the like surprise element of like, yeah. what are we going to get here? But you know what? Kudos. You got to throw something against the wall sometimes. See exactly. if it's going to stick. Exactly. Try it out a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, so I've also heard that you are like the Bobby Fisher of the Bengals in terms of your chess skills. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. How did you become a chess player? Did you always know how to play chess? You learned it when it came in the locker room. I learned um college you know i was in econ class and you know two of my teammates at the time uh we would go to that class and we would pay attention for the most part but you know in the new age you had your laptops out professional might be talking to somebody else we'd pull up chess <laughs> and we started playing and it got real competitive to the point where real rebels out there just playing chess during <laughs> yeah you know it's the competitive spirit behind it and you know when you lose in chess you just feel like this person's smarter than me mm. does he have two heads or something why is he smarter than me so then you want to learn how to get better. So, you know, I kind of just continued on to what it's become now. What about the parallels between like the mental sharpness and your physical sharpness out on the field? Do you think that playing chess is something that really kind of helps keep you in the game? Oh, no, for sure. Um, chess is, you know, a lot of people say it's like the game of or like war, essentially mm -hmm. war. And pretty much any game that takes any type of mental intelligence or, you know, processing, you could compare it to life, you know, because people say life is a game. So anything that has to do with, you know, football, whether it's, you know, these businesses I'm trying to start, you know, chess has allowed me to kind of like prioritize things and pattern recognize um, when I see something, mm. certain thing, I'm able to respond a certain way. Just like if I'm on the chess board, someone puts me in a position that I've seen before. I'm like, oh, I did this before and it didn't work. Let me try this. Oh, that works now. Okay, let me keep doing this. And now we move on to the next move. Yeah. So it's kind of one of those things where I think it relates to everything in life. Did you watch Queen's Gambit when it came I out? I did, it's I did. It's so good, It was huh? really good. And honestly, it was a perfect time because obviously I had been playing chess before that, but mm. um, me and Amari Cooper, one of my good friends who plays on the Browns, um, we played chess every day. And people would always walk by. And, you know, we didn't really have too many people trying to play with us. Mm -hmm. They probably thought it was intimidating because they didn't want to lose. <laughs> chess <But> is intimidating. <laughs> it is. Very it is. intimidating. But then when Queen's Gambit came out, we had, like, spectators. Like, people would come by, oh, I've been learning to play chess, <laughs> da, 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 this and that. So, you know, it was really good for the game of chess. So, yeah. Uh, what about ping pong? I hear there's ping pong tables in the locker room yeah, now. Man. Hey, I'll tell you what. I think we're one of the most interesting teams. I'll put, I'll put it out there. I okay. think we are. If you go in the locker room, you're going to see a lot of action <laughs> outside of just practice um people playing ping pong 
there's a couple of players that know how to really spin it good. Ooh, yeah. So, okay. You know, Working I, I, that backhand. Yeah, backhand, all that kind of stuff. So okay. it, it gets real fun in there for sure. People oh, people are that. staying a little later than they usually have. <laughs> <laughs> Just stay in the locker room, yeah. hang out, put on some music, yeah. get the ping pong tournament up and running. Exactly. Um, let's talk a little Nigerian food. Okay. What is like the quintessential home cooked meal for you? If I were to go have Nigerian yeah. food, what would you want me to have? If you were to have Nigerian food, I would definitely start you off with jollof rice. And jollof rice is basically a tomato-based, um, you know, stew mixed with rice. And it's spicy. It has, like, your, your, your great uh, seasoned flavor. Um, you could put bitter leaf in it. You could put chicken, fish, bitter beef. Leaf. Yeah. Bitter leaf. Yeah. And that's, mm. you know, healthy digestive system. So all of our food, honestly, a lot of our food is technically vegan. Like oh, if you really? cook it correctly, yeah. But if you remove the meat from it, you know, we have vegetable soup. Yeah. We have pounded yam with okra soup, mm. um, pepper soup. We have yams. So we eat a lot of stuff that's um, very clean and healthy, but it just depends how you make it. But I'll definitely start you off with jollof okay. rice. Okay. Yeah. All right. My mom's coming today, too. So oh, maybe I'll have, bring some for the tan. I don't Yay. know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You get so pumped when your mom gets to come Man, out. I love it because, you know, Uber Eats gets, Uber Eats, <laughs> Uber Eats gets mad, yeah. but I get happy for sure. <laughs> totally. Nothing like a good mom cook meal. Hey guys, it's Renee. Ask yourself this. What if you had insights into your genetics that could help empower you to live healthier? How would you use that knowledge? You can hear me talk about insights from my DNA that have affected my personal health journey on the new season of Spit, a podcast from iHeartRadio and 23andMe. Host Baratunde Thurston explores how more and more people are finding out that DNA is more than ancestry. It's a key to understanding your health. Your genetic profile can tell you if you are at increased likelihood of developing a particular condition. It's knowledge that can help make smarter choices about your health and your lifestyle. On this season of Spit, you'll hear me and 22 other podcasters and influencers discuss what genetics revealed about our health and how that knowledge has impacted the way that we live our lives. Be sure to check out my upcoming episode on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Football fans, check out the Three and Out podcast with John Middlecoff only on the Volume Podcast Network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex-NFL scout to the volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip, John has you covered. Download Three and Out with John Middlecoff only on the Volume Podcast Network. Hey guys, it's Renee. Ask yourself this. What if you had insights into your genetics that could help empower you to live healthier? How would you use that knowledge? You can hear me talk about insights from my DNA that have affected my personal health journey on the new season of Spit, a podcast from iHeartRadio and 23andMe. Host Baratunde Thurston explores how more and more people are finding out that DNA is more than ancestry. It's a key to understanding your health. Your genetic profile can tell you if you are at increased likelihood of developing a particular condition. It's knowledge that can help make smarter choices about your health and your lifestyle. On this season of Spit, you'll hear me and 22 other podcasters and influencers discuss what genetics revealed about our health and how that knowledge has impacted the way that we live our lives. Be sure to check out my upcoming episode on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We all know the game isn't over till it's over. You just got to keep driving towards the end zone. And when it's time to turn the game around, you need all the right parts to play together. So next time you need a part for your car, 
Don't call it quits. Head to eBay Motors. They have 122 million parts. Million. So the road to victory is always in your favor. And you can keep driving well into overtime. Get the right parts at the right prices. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. So this is your second season here in Cincinnati. Before we talk a little football, uh, the city. What are you loving about the city of Cincinnati? I was just telling you I also just moved here. I'm figuring it out. Where are your spots? What are you into? Food. <laughs> yes, there's a I lot would, of good food. Yeah, there's a lot of good food. And, you know, we even had a thing called Taste of the Bengals maybe last week or two weeks ago. And, you know, we got to experience a lot of the restaurants, local restaurants around the city. And I thought I was well-aversed in the area, like, because I was trying a lot of stuff last year. And even this year I was, but. Did you see you had the chili? No. <laughs> That's one thing that I haven't, you know, gotten, mustered up the courage oh for. Oh, my gosh. How would you guys <laughs> let this happen? This should be illegal. <laughs> I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a couple of people in that locker room. I don't know if I had it either, but <laughs> I don't want to put anybody on blast. <laughs> um, okay, so season two. We are just about in it. We are here. How are you feeling? What are the pressures like right now coming into the second season with the Bengals for you? Man, it's just a quiet confidence, I would say. You know, really throughout the whole team, um, obviously where we've been, that's kind of like the foundation now. You know, we, we know how to get there. Um, a lot of the guys, you know, just seeing from OTAs to now have gotten a lot better from last year, mm -hmm. you know, at this point. And teams are going to start looking at after us as, you know, a team to – you know, contend with, you know, yeah. before they were kind of looking at us like, we'll see who they are type of thing. Mm -hmm. But now they know it's not a fluke. So we know that there's going to be targets on our back. But I just feel like there's quiet confidence on our team. And I think when we go out there, people are going to realize, you know, who the Bengals really are. Because, you know, one thing about this league, you could do it one year, but you have to do it two years yeah. for people to really respect you. So this is our year to really earn that respect and try to become a dynasty, really, Certainly. you know, a franchise that, you know, is respected. How exciting does it feel to be like a part of something like that? Not from the get-go, I mean, but I mean, from the season that you had last year compared to, you know, the previous seasons, but for you to be here kind of on like the ground level right now, as this dynasty is being built, you feel that, that like synergy happening? No, for sure. And, um, you know, when I signed here, that was kind of the idea. And I'm sure like guys like Trey Hendrickson, Mike Hilton, um, Von Bell, DJ Reader, all those guys that signed here, you know, kind of had that same vision in mind, like being a part of something special. You know, usually in college, you may be a part of that. High school, you may be a part of that. But in the NFL, it's real rare because, yeah. you know, you have a lot of guys focused on the business, um, you know, trying to make enough money for their families. But here it's like that added element of like, this is just a little more important, you know, so yeah. it's beautiful to be a part of. It's so cool. I mean, it's so fun to see. And I moved to Cincinnati just in time okay, to perfect. be a part of the whole thing. <laughs> it's so great. Um, why did you come to Cincinnati? What was it about the Bengals that that kind of made that seem like the destination for you? And was there anyone you were kind of talking to that was kind of giving you the Iggy on what's going on here? Well, I would say, I, to be completely honest, when I first heard, the Bengals were the first team that called me. When I first heard them, I was like, you know, let's wait a little bit. Let's see what else is out there. But I didn't really know the Bengals. But then, I, you know, I started to, you know, look at the roster and, like, kind of what was going on. And uh, Coach Zach Taylor, um, you know, the type of guy he was, you know, I was like, oh, wow, this team's actually very, like, interesting. And then more research, and I was able to visit here. And everything just kept adding up, adding up, adding up. And for me, you know, I've always played my best football when I feel like I'm part of, like, the team's 
movement to be good. You know, I'm not just like a guy on the side. Like, I feel like I'm really in the locker room talking to the guys, um, in the meeting rooms, uh, you know, challenging uh, our systems to try to make them better. And then obviously going out there and making plays and playing with brothers that love football. And I feel like when I got here, it was everything I ever wanted, yeah. plus more. And in my mind, it was just like, God has given me what I need. Cheeto, what are you going to do with it? You feel yeah. me? So I kind of, in my mind, just kept saying, like, it's on me. <laughs> Did you feel like you had a little bit of a chip on your shoulder coming in here to, like, really prove to people exactly what you could do? For sure. You know, last year, like, I, I, very early, like, right after the season, like, I told myself this year is going to be about respect. And I have to take complete ownership of whatever I put out there and however I arrive to whatever team I was going to be on. So, you know, very early in the offseason, I was working out, got my routine down. You know, I wasn't relying on you know, specific trainers or um, other people to kind of guide my offseason. You know, I took complete ownership of it. And like I said, you know, I'm going to get my PT, I'm going to get my speed work, my DB work, lifting, you know, stretching, yoga, all that type of stuff. Like I just did it all. And it was daily. And I feel like I created a routine where it was going to make me my best self. And um, I think that definitely had to do with everything about that chip on the shoulder. You know, I just want respect in this league. And I want to provide for my family. So Yeah, I, I can't wait. I'm so pumped to see what you guys do this season. And I can't believe it's here. Oh, my gosh. Um, before we wrap up here with you, I can't help but notice this photo behind you. This, the outfit. And a theme that I noticed while I was scrolling through the IG mm. is the anime. Yeah. What's with the anime? I'm a big anime fan. Like, what, what are the shows? What are the movies? Who are the characters? Yeah, so, you know, I started with Naruto. I don't know if you ever heard of that. I've heard of it. Okay, Naruto. Then, you know, actually, Dragon Ball Z, way mm -hmm. back. I'm pretty sure everybody knows about oh, that. Yeah. And then um, I started just watching different shows. Um, One Piece is one of my favorite shows. And, you know, think about anime that, like, people may see it as cartoons and stuff, but it's actually really dramatic. And you have an anime character bulging their eyes out and tears flowing down their eyes and their mouth, like, drop to their stomach. Like, that's not something a regular actor can do. So there's just, like, different emotional expressions and the storylines, the backstories are really cool. And it's led me to, you know, meet some really cool people. Like, I met the owner of Funimation, oh, the wow. people who actually made Dragon Ball Z. Wow. Like, yeah, his son is one of my good friends now. And um, it led me to also meet another guy who we're working on African comics. You know, no way. yeah, working on African comics, and that's one thing about me. You know, I I, I like to do a lot of different things. I and, can see yeah, this. I'm passionate. Well, WWE, I was passionate yeah. about that too. Growing <laughs> up, you know, I was a big HBK fan, uh -oh. DX, the Hardy Boys, all yeah. that stuff. But yeah, you know, so um, I feel like when I came here. I got my routine down. I was able to explore a lot of different things that I'm passionate about, yeah. too. Mm -hmm. What do you want to do with African characters in anime? Yeah, so I want to just tell real stories. And, um, you know, again, I want to bring African culture to the Western world. I feel like we haven't really experienced the history, mm -hmm. um, some of the cool things, the food even. Um, you can't, like, drive down the street and say you probably have seen an African restaurant sure. probably before. So, sure. you know, just everything that has to do with that, you know, I feel like in my position... I'm able to kind of bring that to the Western world for everybody to experience, you know. So um, that's one of the things that I definitely am just passionate about. So cool. Well, listen, I know you're a busy man. you got lots of things to do. But my final question to you, what do you want your legacy to be in football? Last year, one of, my, one of our teammates here, um, Rico Allen, Ricardo Allen, asked me, like, what do you love about football so much? And it was kind of similar. And to me, it was, I told him the history, you know, like in this life, you don't have too many ways to be remembered, you know? And I feel like when you play football, 
you're automatically etched into some book, you know, for something. And then if you do really well in football, you're etched into a different book, you know. So um, for me, this is like my stamp on the public world. You know, if, if I were to pass or do something, they'd type in Chittlebad was, your, you know, he was a football player. You know, so, you know, that's what I love about it. It gives people the opportunity to etch their part in this game and to etch their part amongst their family, communities. Um, you know, there may be a little kid who has a name similar to mine or someone who's from where I'm from, San Jose, California, and sees my name and, and automatically thinks that they could do that, too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's really important um, just to be a part of this history and, and putting out the best possible name I can. So Hell yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me. It was really nice to meet you. I cannot fun. wait to see you guys crush it this season. Appreciate it. Appreciate Go get it. it. I'm going to be at some games. I'll bring you some chili. Say less. I'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be homemade, I promise. <laughs> Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the week. Enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them. Give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there. And you can see us talking, having this interview, having a hangout. It's all up on there. Um, and that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know? Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, we like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions. Sessions.